Welcome to the Gospel According to with Ryan and Mike, a conversation designed to explore what makes the gospel good news in various books and topics of the Bible. So, Mike, we now are on the other side of Isaiah chapter 53, and I want to give a quick story to get us started into chapter 54. There was a few months ago now that Daniel Webb, one of the members, and I um, were listening to Isaiah 53 to 55, and literally in the midst of Isaiah 54, 1, I paused the recording and said, I don't like this. I don't Mm -hmm. like this because whenever I teach speech classes, I teach my students to use directional transitions. Mm -hmm. Now that we have talked about 53, let us then talk about 54. (laughs) You you don't want to be bipolar in a speech and you you need to lead people through where you're going. But if you listen to what Isaiah is doing here, 53 Mm -hmm. verse 12, therefore I will assign him a share with a great He will divide the spoil with the mighty for having exposed himself to death and being counted among the sinners while actually bearing the sin of many and interceding for the offenders. Sing, barren woman who has never had a child. What? Like Isaiah, come on now. Like you have just provided the darkest image in the whole Bible in chapter 53. Mm-hmm. And now you're saying sing barren woman. So that same week, this is when I was like on a real kick listening to Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, a bunch. I still listen to it all the time. But but that next day I listened to Beethoven's fifth, and I realized that between his third third and fourth movements, the third movement ends with a very minor key, and then it gets real pianissimo for a second. Mm -hmm. And then the fourth movement comes triumphing with the trombones, exclaiming, and that's what you have going on here in 54, is this great shout of joy. And I think it's a very musical idea of the joy that's coming forth in 54. So Isaiah 53 has taken us into the very heart of darkness. Chapter 54 is taking us to the mountains of praise. Why? Why is Isaiah praising in 54? Yeah. Well, we've got this restoration finally, right? We've seen, you know, from the beginning of chapter 40 and this message of comfort, we've seen these glimpses of restoration throughout, um, but now it's the dominant note in 54. Um, you 54, you have two visions of restoration um, and, and two different metaphors for restoration. The first in one through 10 is this vision of a restored wife. She's moving from the place of barrenness and shame to fruitfulness and prosperity, Um, uh, fertility, fruitfulness, prosperity. Uh, And then in 11 through 17, you've got this vision of a restored city and you see the beauty of the city. um, You see the the children of the city. You see the protection of the city. All these things are together. And, And so, again, the short version, the answer to your question is, the change is because now it's all about the restoration on the other side of what the servant yeah. has done to accomplish the, the work of Yahweh. Um, we now have restoration in full glory. Beautifully said. So again, just to get a very quick outline of this chapter, yeah. verses one to 10 are all about the renewed wife. Yep. 
And then 11 through 17 are all about the renewed city. Correct. So yeah. let's talk through both of these. Let's start in one mm-hmm. through 10 and talk about yeah. the renewed wife. Yeah. Now, it starts with this language in verse one, seeing barren woman who has never had a child burst into song, shout for joy. You who have never been in labor for the deserted wife will have more children than the woman who is living with her husband. I think that's hilarious. First of all, yeah. uh, I mean, that's just Isaiah has a tongue in cheek comment here. Uh, why is this fruitfulness of the woman a means to rejoice? Take us through the poetry and the metaphor and what's going on here. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of this comes from a culture in which um, an honor shame culture um, where barrenness is not just simply the, you know, heartache and loss and grief. It, it would have been those things too but would have been tied into um, identity and value and worth and who you are, you know, your place in the community, your role, all those kinds of things. And so for a woman to be rejected by her husband and to have no children would have been the ultimate disgrace and shame. And, and what we're seeing here is the reversal, the undoing and the reversal of that, where she's going from this, barrenness this one who has no relations with her husband to now she's she's having so many children that their dwellings their tents need to be stretched and lengthened and um, spread abroad to where you've got the seeds so powerful and numerous that they're possessing possessing the other nations themselves right and so it's this cause for tremendous celebration of singing and rejoicing and and all that. Yeah, well said. Well said. And 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 I think that he's choosing here the most intimate of relationships mm. to demonstrate yeah. this with. Because if you get yes. to verse 4, you will forget the shame of your youth, no longer mm-hmm. remember the dishonor of being widowed. Yeah. Now, as you just said, within the honor shame culture that Isaiah is speaking into, this was a sign of shame. And Mm -hmm. for women today who have gone through experiences of infertility or being left or being widowed, even though 21st century America is a bit different than the the 7th century BC that Isaiah is speaking into, there's still this idea of you're not going to be alone anymore. Um, but rather God is going to bless you with descendants. Yeah. And and, and again, just, just a note here that this, this intimacy that God is speaking to Israel is God's own relationship with his people now. Mm-hmm. Now, verse four, then verse four, uh, don't be afraid. You won't be ashamed. Mm-hmm. Well, he's saying this because of the statement in verse three. You will spread out to the right and left. Your descendants will possess the nations and inhabit the desolated cities. Why is that verse so important to the whole the whole narrative of Isaiah yeah. 40 through 55? So if you think about this overall message of 40 through 55 that we've seen is here's a message of comfort to the people of Israel in exile with the promise that they're going to be released. They're going to return to the land, Uh, the city, the nation, the people will be restored in all its glory. And and 
God is going to act so powerfully in that, that even the other nations will come to worship and praise and serve Yahweh because of this powerful act of salvation that he's going to accomplish for Israel. And, and through the, even the restoration of Israel's own vocation, right? That impact among the other nations. Well said. Well, well now we're again, finally seeing a little bit more um, detail to what that looks like here through this language of, of possession and the glory of, of Israel itself. Yeah. And obviously this is within the context of the work of the servant. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to find the fulfillment of this in Jesus Christ, who is going to be the one who will come himself to wed the bride and through him fulfill the promises made to Abraham in Genesis 12, 15, 18, et cetera, about the nations becoming the inheritance. The, The only other thing I want to point out in these first 10 verses is just this relentless emphasis on grace. I love verse eight. Mm -hmm. I was angry with you for a moment and hid my face from you. But with everlasting grace, I will have compassion on you. Absolutely. Manslick knows I've talked a lot about militant grace, super abundant grace, freeing grace. I have a whole series on this, but I'm going to have to now put together an addition to this and talk about everlasting grace. Because he says in verse 10, the mountains may leave and the hills be removed, but my grace will never leave you. Yeah. And, and this is the pro- go ahead, go ahead. You first. No, no, you, I just can say that this is the, this is the groundwork of all this. So, so again, it's the promise of restoration. We've seen the picture of restoration from barrenness and shame to all this fertility and fruitfulness and abundance and all that. But this is the bedrock of where that restoration comes from. It's God's compassion, God's loving kindness and grace, God's Shalom, God's peace. Beautifully said. Yeah. Beautifully said. It's not because of the sinlessness of the people. It's because of the graciousness of God. And absolutely. I mean, let's, let's, let's please pray that we have moved past this idea that the Old Testament's law and the New Testament's grace. I mean, this is the very foundation of God's promises that God is going to fulfill his promise as the greatest act of grace. And that's what the servant has done. The servant has bore the sins of the people. The servant has taken captivity captive. And because of this, Israel is not not divorced from God. Israel's renewed. And because of the renewal of God, the nations will then be inherited and brought into this promised covenant, all as the graciousness of God. It's absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Can we just hear verse 10 again? For the mountains may be removed and the hills may shake, but my loving kindness, my steadfast love, my covenant faithfulness, uh, will not be removed from you. And my covenant of peace will not be shaken, says Yahweh, who has compassion on you. Yes. Yeah. I think verse 10 is one of those verses that needs to be cross-stitched more often and put up on some. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, absolutely. It's, oh, it's so good. Mm-hmm. The, the mountains may leap and the hills be removed, but yeah. my grace will never leave you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Freud of Freud. All right. So. <laughs> Now, take us through 11 through 17. This is about the renewed city. Yeah. So the metaphor changes. We're still dealing with another picture of restorations, the message, um, but it's a different metaphor picture for that restoration. And so in verses 11 through 12, you see these descriptions of the buildings of the city. 
and where you think about a normal ancient city built of stone with stone walls and stone buildings and all that sort of stuff. This is built of precious stones. He says, set your stones in antimony, your foundations in sapphires, your battlements of rubies, your gates of crystal. So this is this is not just a, a strong, well-built city. It's it's a city of beauty and glory and majesty. I mean, right out of the the most fanciful fairy tale, right? This this amazing, beautiful, glorious city. Uh, so that's 11 through 12. In verse 13, uh, we look at the children in the city, right? Um, and even, even to think about um, this picture of, of a city now where we can focus on the children, <laughs> right? Um, I, I maybe you think about other passages earlier in Isaiah and other places in the prophets where it's such a picture of desolation that you're just looking at, you know, people in sackcloth and and people stripped naked, people, all the various forms of suffering, or you think about the the images of, of people during the siege. This is the opposite of that. Now we've got the children, and now they're being taught of God, they're disciples of God, and we see them flourishing. We see, it says, the well-being of their children will be great. Right. And so we've got the buildings in one through or 11 through 12, the children in verse 13, and then the defenses in 14 through 17. But when we look at that, it's not their own defenses, their own weapons of war and their own shields and their own, um, you know, walls and things like that. But it's God himself who's protecting them, who's giving them strength, who's giving them victory, who's giving them prosperity and the the. The, the final word is no weapons that have formed that's formed against you will prosper. Every tongue that accuses you in judgment, you will condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord of Yahweh and their vindication is from me. So, I mean, just, just, just so, so many moving messages and so many things going through my mind right now, you know, I, I think your point about children is, is mm. very well taken here Mm. because if you consider a war torn area it is always the children that are going to suffer the most Mm -hmm. and isaiah here is promising a refuge for the children Mm -hmm. that war has been dealt with captivity has been taken captive the servant has brought peace God's people are going to be brought into joy. All your children will be taught by Adonai. Mm-hmm. Your children will have great peace. Yeah. And I think even in the context of what we just read in 54.3, this includes the nations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The nations yeah. likewise are going to be brought into this. And then this is the promise that oppression and ruin will, van- will be vanquished. False alliances will be vanquished. And then because of this, a famous song based on verse 17, no weapons that fashioned against us will stand, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then let's note the finality of this. Beginning in 41, throughout 55, there has been this repeated motif of the courtroom. Mm -hmm. But now what's the conclusion? In court, you will refute every accusation yeah absolutely. why 
Why? Why? why do, to explain this to me. Why in 41 are we going to court where there's this great trial, but now we get to verse 17 in court, you will refute every accusation. What's changed? Yeah. The servant he who bore our iniquities, right? Exactly. You know, the, the servant, the one who bore the sins of the people has changed all of this. And because of this, not merely the servant, but the servants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's fascinating. The yeah. servants of Adonai inherit all this. The reward for their righteousness is from me. I mean, Isaiah 54 is summing up all of the promises of Abraham. It is bringing forth the fulfillment of the promises because of the servant and looking forward to so many of the beautiful images that we have in Revelation of yeah. God's promises being realized through Jesus Christ. So you, you think you think about first. you think about particularly this last vision of of this restored city. What a I mean, just what a, uh, an image to sort of cling to and yearn for and long for, especially when you think about um, what Israel would have, th- their last visions of Jerusalem going into exile to see the rubble and to see the smoke and to smell um, the burning and the death yes. and, and, and all that. And, and so to, to have this vision of that city now of, Beautiful, sparkling, precious stones and children flourishing and and no weapon that's fashioned against us will stand. It just um an incredible an, an incredible hope to cling to. Well said. Well said. So Mike, let me ask you this. Isaiah is not only instructing us, um, but I think uh, I think in this chapter, Isaiah is also teaching us to sing. Mm, yeah. Uh, good theology should always bring us to praise. Yeah. And if we don't walk away from this chapter wanting to sing to God, we're not Mm -hmm. reading it right. Yeah. Very good. What should we be singing about from Isaiah Mm. 54? Yeah. um, Singing about the, the salvation, the restoration. Um, We've talked about this before, but realizing that, that singing is, is, is not simply a response to what God has done, um, but it's an act of hope, even defiant hope of what I believe God will do. And and there's ways in which we may have seen this passage fulfilled, uh, beginning to be fulfilled in, in Christ, um, and yet there's there's fuller dimension of this passage that we long to be fulfilled even more in Christ. And so um, we can sing for joy and rejoice, shout for joy and all those things. And we do so believing that God has acted faithfully. And we do so believing God will act, continue to act faithfully. Beautifully said, beautifully said. And so I'm going to read for us a passage earlier in Isaiah, Isaiah 49, verse 13, seeing heaven Rejoice, earth, break out into song, you mountains, for Adonai is comforting his people. Have mercy on 
those who have suffered. Isaiah 54 verse 1, sing barren woman who has never had a child, burst into song, shout for joy, you who have never been in labor. Verse 10, for the mountains may leave and the hills be removed, but my grace will never leave you. Verse 17, no weapon made will prevail against you. In court, you will refute every accusation. The servants of Adonai inherit all this. The reward for their righteousness is from me. And for that, let us sing. Thanks for listening to the Gospel According to Podcast. If you have any questions about what you heard today, please send us a voice message. We would really love to hear from you. Make sure you follow us on social media, subscribe, and click the bell to get notified when we drop a new episode. Until next time, and for all time, your God reigns.